And it's our first mask-free Sunday after a highly contagious pandemic. And I was thinking, how, what on earth do you preach, you know? And one of the things that I remembered that the Lord reminded me of is it was at my very first holiday club. Now, I had a bit of a weird childhood in that I spent quite a few years in hospital and by myself in bed in hospital. And so it's fun. I'll probably just use this today. Um, and uh, it's because I had a certain uh, bone condition. And so I didn't get to do what other kids did. And then when I got into high school, so I tried to enter life and go into, you know, the world as it was. Everybody, I'm out of hospital, free at last. And so lived in my own world of isolation and then came around about high school stage and started re-entering the world. You always wondered why I was weird. Now you know. Um, and, uh, and then after about two years, ended up going on a holiday club as a leader for the first time and giving my heart to Jesus. I'll tell you about that later. Um, it was literally as a leader that I came to faith. God knows how to reach our hearts. But one of the things in talking about being contagious that made me think about it was a story from the life of Jesus in Matthew, 20, uh, in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at that in a moment. Matthew 8 and verse 14. But it happens in a bigger context. Jesus begins his ministry after his baptism, and he starts with this word. Anyone know? Repent. What does it mean to repent? Anyone know? Anyone know? Repent means to forgive. It's to ask someone to forgive. So, uh, repent means to ask someone, would they forgive you? Okay. Uh, any other ideas on, forgive, uh, on, on repent? It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's literally a change of life. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Free at last? No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> So Jesus comes and says, it's time for a change of heart. It's time for a change of mind. It's literally time to change your life. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is now and it's near. It's literally breaking in. It's arriving. And every page of Jesus' story in the Gospels is filled with insights as how, of the how-to in which God brings his kingdom both through Jesus and us. And Matthew's gospel is very clear. It shows how Jesus comes, proclaim, you know, traveling, teaching in all the towns and synagogues, proclaiming, which is like this legal word, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing disease and sickness, etc. And then it closes that off in Matthew chapter 9, in which Jesus then, having done that, says, Now, there's only one of me. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need more people doing what I'm doing. And so he begins to train the disciples. He sets aside the 12. We know from Luke, he sets aside 72. Not quite, you know, we were not quite 72 on the stage earlier, but I think we got close. Um, 
And, and so there's this insight into how God's kingdom comes, how the gospel comes through Jesus. And in between those brackets are many amazing stories worth reading, but one of them is in chapter 8 and verse 14. Jesus has just been reaching out and says, When Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a command or a word, and he healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill... What was spoken through the prophet Isaiah? He took up our infirmities. He bore our diseases. Now, I know I'm handling some very sensitive matter here, like healing a mother-in-law. I am reminded of the man whose mother-in-law insisted on going on his honeymoon with him and his new wife. Because he had planned to go to Israel, and she'd always wanted to go to Israel, and now her dear daughter was going to Israel. So on honeymoon, the man's mother-in-law comes along with him, and he wasn't very impressed. And, uh, but sadly, while they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. And so the man has to now make arrangements, and so he goes to see a funeral arrangement. He goes to see an undertaker there in Israel, who, who tells him, listen, you can have your mother's remains shipped home for about 100,000 rand, or you can bury her here for only 20,000 rand. The man thought about it for a moment, and then he said, no, I'll have to ship her home. And the undertaker said, why? He said, why would you spend 100,000 rand when people spend that amount to be carried from the ends of the earth to be buried in the promised land. Like, I mean, Joseph was in Egypt and he made them carry his, you know, um, what a casket, all the way from Egypt so that he could be buried here. People want to be buried here. Like, people pay big bucks. You're paying bucks to bury her back in South Africa. Why would you do that? He said, listen, about 2,000 years ago, a man died here and was buried. And three days later, he rose again. I am not taking that chance. Now, let's step back. Here's the story. Jesus comes. She's ill with fever. And Jesus proclaiming and ministering the kingdom of God makes her well. So here's the first point, number one. The kingdom is contagious. You see, in New Testament times, the fever itself was seen as a kind of disease. We know today there are different diseases that all can result in fever, but fever was seen as a disease in itself. And of course, some of those fevers were from conditions that were contagious. So people knew when someone had fever, you just stayed away regardless. You certainly didn't touch them, and you didn't take your head covering off or your mask off, okay? You stayed away. You kept your distance and you didn't touch them. And so what Jesus did was against the best medical practice of his day. Instead of avoiding the fever, he goes and touches her. 
Luke 4 verse 39 tells us that Jesus also rebuked the fever. You naughty fever. You know you shouldn't be a get out. He rebukes it as if it's an imposter. And then he touches her and the fever leaves and he helps her get up. Now we see the same thing, for example, in the first miracle that Matthew records in which there was the leper and again, he was unclean and people, should, and people should have kept away from him. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, and Jesus has to sort out his theology. Um, but at the same time, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Normally that would have made Jesus unclean. Except the kingdom is far more contagious than sickness or sin or darkness. It's not the unclean things that contaminate and that the clean things become contaminated. You see, even in the Old Testament, there was one glorious exception to this ceremonial cleanliness rule. And it was this. That there was one thing that no matter what it was, if anything else touched it, the other thing became holy. The other thing became clean. Now, think about that. What could make something unclean, clean, just by contact? The Old Testament had a sacrificial system where they'd make offerings, and there was one offering. It was called the sin offering. If someone touched the sin offering, they became clean. Now we're going to come back to this in a minute. In verse 17. But there's no doubt in Matthew's mind that when Jesus reached out and touched Peter's mom-in-law, she was touched by the ultimate sin offering. Literally, Jesus comes. The second thing is not just that the kingdom is contagious and it almost reverses the idea of, you know, problems are going to come to you. It says, no, solutions are coming to you because the kingdom is here. We're thinking crisis is coming. No, God's promises are coming. The kingdom is here. It's time to change your mind. It's time to change your heart. It's time to know that God's will and rule and reign is coming. Now the second thing is the significance and power of the touch. And it's just a good Sunday to point this out. <laughs> but it's, it's quite an extraordinary reality that Jesus' body on several occasions on earth had become an outpost of heaven. And so when a woman reached out in faith and literally just touched him, he felt power leave him and she was made whole. Now guys, we need to recognize the uniqueness of Jesus. He's the only person whose identity was truly God. But the interesting thing is, is that Jesus said you'll do greater things than this and, you know, this healing idea, being left with Jesus, would make nonsense of Moses, it would make nonsense of Elijah, it would make nonsense of Elisha, it would make nonsense of Peter and Paul. The crazy thing is that by the time you get to Peter and Paul, they're doing the greater things. So Peter walks past and they don't even touch him, it's just his shadow falls on someone. Now, were they any more special than Jesus? No, they weren't God. What was happening? It was the 
grace of God by the Spirit bringing kingdom power into people's lives. Paul, you know, he kept losing his hankies and then when he'd gone ask, John Mark had stolen them and sent them off to a sick person and the sick person was getting well. Like literally, his kit was going missing because people were going, there's an anointing on his life if I pass this out. Like, I mean, the Bible says, and I mean, the Bible's got some weird miracles. It says, Paul did extraordinary miracles in that place. Like, what's an extraordinary miracle, you know? In other words, it's not just Jesus' body. There can be an outpost of heaven on earth. If you're willing to give yourself to the kingdom of God and to the king of the kingdom, to Jesus. Now, the reality is we've all been made by God, for God, perfectly imperfect. The staggering good news of Genesis 1 and 2. But sin has messed this up. That's why Jesus starts saying, repent. The kingdom is here. There's this opportunity. There's this power. But you can't stay as you are. But if you will receive the kingdom, everything about you, even your body, is intended to release the love, the joy, the peace of the Father into the world around you. You know, it's staggering that Paul would write to the Corinthians in the context of sexual purity, 1 Corinthians, and he says to them, Now the body is for the Lord. See your body as something that God really wants to use. Then he says this. You're perfectly imperfect. The Lord is for your body. Like, wow! I mean, I can understand that my body is for the Lord. But the Lord is saying, I am for your body. I mean, the people of that day didn't believe that it mattered what you did with your body. You could do anything with your body. Popular philosophy. Paul says, no. Like literally the kingdom can come through you. So one of the things we're going to have to get used to is touching people appropriately <laughs> and expecting God's kingdom to like when it comes with truth and love and integrity and faith for meaningful things to happen. Now you don't have to be able to explain it for it to work. I can't explain it. I can't. I was I was in a in a service and the worship was amazing. And one of the leaders stood up and said, There's healing in the room. You better pray for each other. And he said, Quickly find out what the person needs if there's healing in the person next to you. And I turned to this guy and he said to me, My bicep is a lump at the bottom of my upper arm. Because I had a rugby injury 25 years ago, and since then I've never been able to lift my arm. It's completely severed in the rugby injury. They tried to surgically reattach it. Surgery failed. It's a lump at the bottom of my arm. And then he lifted, he, he sort of like did this to try and show me the lump at the bottom of my arm, and he said, Yeah, feel it. And as I, I hadn't even warmed up, I hadn't even said in Jesus' name, I hadn't done nothing. I put my hand on his arm and we both jumped back. He was absolutely freaked out. And then he started doing this. <laughs> like, I don't know how to explain it. 
I can't. But I went to go stay at his house a day or two later. And so we came from the conference and we walked inside and he picked up my heavy suitcase. I was traveling for two weeks and he walked in showing his wife that he could literally carry my heavy suitcase up the staircase like this. She just cried. I didn't get to preach. I did nothing. We were just giving ourselves to God. When someone realized maybe this is a moment of healing. Maybe this is a moment of freedom. Maybe this is a moment of salvation. Here's the important thing about the kingdom. There's many, sorry. But here's one important thing about the kingdom. You only have the opportunity to do this while you have a body. Like literally... Your life is a window of opportunity when you run out of body, run out of life, you run out of kingdom opportunity. It's time for a change of mind. It's time for a change of thinking. It's time to recognize what sin has done and say, Jesus, I need to trust you. I'm coming back to this. You see, when this works, then you see the devil's work get undone. Jesus starts driving out all these dark forces. The contagion of the kingdom comes in, as it were, and the unclean are made clean. The guilty are, are declared justified. The oppressed are set free. The weak become strong. The demonized are set free. The sick get well. The poor receive God's infinite resources of heaven. 1 John 3 verse 8b says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And you can know God's kingdom's coming when that stuff starts happening. It's the kind of stuff that Jesus pointed out to John the Baptist when John the Baptist was worried about whether the king of the kingdom had come. And then the kingdom and the cross. Verse 17. With hindsight, Matthew reads back into the story. I doubt that he quoted Isaiah 53 in his mind at that moment, but when he afterwards, when he's writing this, he realizes this fulfills that. This is that. Like, this what we saw in Jesus is what Isaiah foresaw in chapter 51. He took our infirmities. He bore our diseases. Now stop for a moment. Think about it. Jesus takes infirmities, carries diseases, and yet he didn't get sick. Like he takes it onto himself. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Something happened with Jesus on the cross that makes it possible for it to be the other way around. This is the power that makes the kingdom contagious. The cross is the power that makes the kingdom contagious. What is this verse talking about? It's talking about an Old Testament word called atonement. That Jesus would go to the cross as our representative, in other words, as our substitute, in our place. And he would carry in himself all the effects of demonic opposition, all the suffering, all the pain, all the brokenness, all the evil, everything structural and personal, is poured out onto Jesus in those moments. The Bible says God did that. He laid on Jesus all our pain. 
Verse 4 from Isaiah 51 says, He took up our pain, bore our suffering. Yet we thought Him, considered Him, punished by God, stricken by Him, afflicted, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In other words, people thought Jesus had done something wrong. No, He hadn't. They thought God was punishing Jesus. No, it wasn't. It was the act of redemption for our sin. And the punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all see this close link between healing and sin, and we, we do keep them separate, but we must see the link. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned and followed our own way. And so the Lord laid on him, speaking of perfect offering, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see the verbs to take up or to carry. They didn't just mean to lift. The word also has this sense of carry away. Jesus comes not just to lift stuff off you and to say I'm here. He comes to lift stuff off you and carry it away and say I am making you new. I am making you new. He's the way maker. Miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in my darkness, light in your darkness. And so Jesus dies on the cross once for all, on one occasion for all occasions, one human for all humans, accomplishing in the heavenly realms what was enacted prophetically on the Day of Atonement. You see, Matthew believes that on the cross, Jesus deals with the legal authority behind sin. Jesus makes the connection that healing someone is having the authority to deal with their sin when the paralytic was laid, lowered before him. He deals with the authority behind sin, sickness, demonic forces which we had surrendered to the enemy and he did it once for all. But Matthew shows that in the ministry of Jesus he does battle with the ongoing power and presence of sin and sickness and demonic forces in the lives of everyday people. That is still an ongoing battle. But like with Jesus, God wants to win that battle through us. I said I came to faith at a holiday club. Things had gone pretty rough just before the holiday club started. Not only had I spent several years literally in hospital and in isolation, when I had the opportunity to start my life as it were again, I came out to find that my home life had disintegrated. My father had mental health issues. In those days they called it a nervous breakdown. He was diagnosed with some serious, serious issues. And home simply wasn't the place I'd left four years before. To cut a long story short, about two years later, my parents got divorced. And I'll never forget crying out my brokenness. Inside it, I turned the bath on loud. We didn't have a big house. And so I had the bath water running and I was inside the bathroom. 
I was supposedly running a bath, but instead I had my face buried in a towel, screaming out my pain and my anger. And what the heck was going on? Just when I could start my life again, everything's been taken from me. And I was so hurt, and I was so angry. And although I'd been raised as a, you know, by those same parents who are now breaking up my life, it felt. And by the way, God has been incredibly redemptive in my family space. This is not to knock them. But this is where I was at the time. And then, cut a long story short, a really cute girl called Maureen was going to go on a holiday club. <laughs> the Lord works in mysterious ways. He's wonders to perform. This is what the old hymn writer said. And so motivated by a deep love for myself, <laughs> I signed up to go on this holiday club, only to find out that it was the wrong Maureen. <laughs> I was still, I, 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 you know, people say one day when I'm big, I'm not sure I'll ever get to say that. But, you know, I, I was a very small 15-year-old, and the Maureen who went, I would have sort of like, you know, I, I would have stared into unmentionable places so that I could, you know, it just wasn't going to ever work. And so like now feeling, because the holiday club wasn't even in my hometown. It was like hundreds of kilometers away. So there I am among strangers. And they start talking about God. And they start talking about love. And they start talking about sin. I realized just how far I was from the God who loved me. And how angry I was. But you know, the Bible calls us to repent, but it also, Liam, calls us to forgive. And the guy who was leading, the Captain Kirk of that space, Professor Kirk, whatever it is, uh, he said, very simply, he said, you know, Romans chapter 8 says that, verse 16, the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And he said, beyond all the discussion and debate and academic reality, I just want to ask you this. He says, this is my honest experience. When I'm quiet and I listen for God, I know that he's saying to me, in the words that Damien, in a sense, used earlier, his name was Stephen. It would have been weird if he said this and his name wasn't Stephen. Stephen, you're my child. And he said, do you know the same reality? So I closed my eyes and I imagined God speaking to me and I thought, you know, and then I realized if I have to imagine it, then it's not happening. I don't yet know him. And I want to. I 
want to with all my heart deal with the guilt and the sorrow and the pain. And even though I'm only 15 years old, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that's what I did 41 years ago. I asked God to forgive me. I asked God to come in and deal with the thing that would disqualify me from carrying his kingdom. And so in one sense, there's so many points of application out of this, including seeing people set free from demons and sickness and whatever else would mess up their lives and partnering with God in that. The first application is, it's time for change. Isn't it? That God has come and I can repent. I can say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to know you. I want to follow you. And then step two, I can give myself to whatever kingdom encounter he wants to make happen after that. I didn't understand. You guys are getting a head start. It took me many decades to learn that actually this is how Jesus wants to do it. I just thought he came to save me from my sin. I didn't realize he came to save me for his good purposes on earth. You can have both for free. <laughs> but it will cost you everything. It will take committing yourself in faith to him. Receiving that promise for yourself. You see, when you repent, there's something that needs to happen as your next step. And it's a bit hard to work out which one comes first because they so overlapped. But you're going to need to believe his promise it says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And literally, you can let God wash you clean from the inside out and let you begin again. Now, my family was still a mess. It took many years of hard work. It wasn't as if the human consequences just disappeared. But I became different in those moments. And gradually, God's grace has entered our lives. Let's pray together. It's time for change. And maybe you've realized that this morning. It's an opportunity to let God change your heart let God change your mind. Begin to open a door to something new. And it's not because you're going to try harder. It's because you're going to trust in the, the Lord Jesus who went to the cross in your place as your substitute to make this possible. And so the question is, are you ready for change? Are you ready to do that which says, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into the place that is sick. I need you to come to the place that is sore. I need you to come to the things that are dark. I need you to forgive me. I need you to deal with my sin. If that's you this morning, while everyone else is staring at you, because no one listens when I say, while everyone's head is bowed. So you, there's no secret about it in any case. But if you'd like me to pray for you, I'd like you to raise your hand.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, it's time for a change. Thank you. It's time to put my faith and my hope and my trust in you, not to trust myself. Some of you almost feeling relieved at that thought. You've tried for so long and you're realizing it's time for a change. It's an opportunity to repent, to trust Him. And even if it's to trust Him all over again. Like literally, you've, you've been there, but it needs to be fresh, it needs to be new. And so, Father, we say yes. Maybe just pray this with me, just quietly in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to show us what our Heavenly Father is like. Thank you that you came to make his kingdom 